You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm honorary Oscar Louis Fertel. And filling in for Aida because she is a young person who is getting her tonsils out. Uh, 11 years old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Ray Sani joining us again Yay! as a guest co-host. Hi, Ray. Hi. I uh, love to Aida and her tonsils. You know, I don't even think tonsils are a real organ. They're just stuff that they would talk about on 90s sitcoms. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, look at her throat. Will Smith's yuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's a plot complication, yeah, not something that actually like, occurs in the human body. Yeah, yeah tonsils were definitely a storyline on Full House, uh, Fresh Prince, and uh, Family Matters. Probably all in the same week, to be honest. Yeah, right. It's it's like the less glamorous amnesia, you know. Just, yeah. We need some. We need something to do this episode. So if someone could not remember the main character's <laughs> name, that would really exactly. occupy us for a while. Well, now I'm imagining like TGIF, like there was like a tonsils like crossover, and everybody going to the same doctor. <laughs> the TGIF loved TGIF loved the crossover. It did. It did. Like it did. let's send everybody to Disney world and they can run into each other right <laughs> was that was that the full house episode where like comic got lost at like disneyland or disney world or something it's like guys i'm not that attached to this golden retriever i don't I... know that i need to like locate him <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i low-key was attached to that golden retriever like that <laughs> <laughs> um i used to think that golden retriever were the like only dog anybody should ever get to like you know Golden Retriever is such a TV dog, and I grew up yeah. in like such an urban space. You know what I mean? It was so like mm-hmm. Comet. Comet looks like the American dream. You know? Yeah. You were just. <laughs> Are you, you know, crying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were just avoiding pit bulls. Um, yes, and exactly. And Rottweilers in, in the hood in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to avoid DMX dogs. You know what I mean? <laughs> But low-key, I hate that era that made us think that, like, pit bulls were the most evil thing that you could ever come across. Because I have so many friends with pit bulls, and they are the cutest dog. And maybe what we should have just learned is don't go up and touch random people's dogs. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson. I mean, you know, pit bulls are the black people uh, dogs because it's like... (laughs) Why we got such a negative reputation for no reason? All you gotta do is be nice. All you gotta do is be nice. And don't let your child put your hand through a gate at a black. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) You know, I I just pictured a pit bull saying this. (laughs) Just don't put your hand through the gate. Yeah. But don't write in and be like, Ray said that black people are animals. They didn't say that. So Oh, we don't read that email. <laughs> <laughs> they just writing into the void. <laughs> we can't be helped. I think that's clear uh, at this point. Yeah. 
Uh, but no, we are um, happy to have you back. Also, a guest co-host into a guest, mm-hmm. and now back as a guest co-host. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing, you're doing it all. Arc. I have a great character arc on Cupid. <laughs> a nice in and out of the main cast. Very Aaron Spelling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Special guest star. Yes. Oh my God. And I'm, I'm a special here. guest star for like six episodes. That's what I did on 90210, right? <laughs> and when you see the cast list on Wikipedia, like, and the seasons are all mas- mapped out, you have like several gl- green blurbs, like one, s- season three, four, five. You know, <laughs> yes, you, you really complicate the map. Yeah. Tiffany Amber Thiessen came in and out a lot, didn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. She's Val. She's my girl. She was my favorite. Mm-hmm. She was my favorite. I've just always put that on the record tiffany amber thiessen is one of my favorite actresses who didn't get enough to do mm-hmm. uh and now she hosts a cooking show on mtv oh does it's she like cooking deliciousness or ridiculousness or whatever so they call it like deliciousness. Yeah. yeah she had a sort of like um pre lisa vanderpump inviting people over for dinner she had a show where it was like brunch with tiffany or something like a celebrity friend would come over and she would help them cook um but now she's hosting like the spinoff of ridiculousness on mtv which is like deliciousness yeah mm. she's on the say by the bell right and then also mm-hmm. for a minute she was like the meryl streep of the usa network on whatever show she was on and then i but i want to say among celebrities who host cooking shows um I got to give it up to Valerie Bertinelli. Whenever I watch Kids Cooking Championship, <laughs> the woman is really qualified to do it and welcoming and lovely while also being very discerning. What we're giving to Kelly Clarkson, I believe Valerie Bertinelli already has. Okay. Well, I don't know if black people yeah. and white people equally love Valerie Bertinelli as they do Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I mm. think Kelly Clarkson's got a Will Smith appeal in their ability to unite. It's a- <laughs> So anyway, are we ready to talk about these Oscars today? Yes. yes. Louis Vertel is ready. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really didn't matter who was on the show. I didn't even have to show up today. It's the Oscars. <laughs> that is Louis's thing. Yeah. Um, but we are also going to talk about Miss Caitlyn Jenner oh. running for governor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she's in it. <laughs> she's in it to win it. Mm. Is that so? I believe she thinks so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. This feels like I'm broke rather than I'm <laughs> civically minded. <laughs> Chris, cut her off. <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Why are you ending keeping up with the Kardashians?" I was looking for some guest spot money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will also be joined by Ed Helms today to talk about his new film, Together, Together, and new sitcom, Rutherford Falls. So we will be right back with more Keep It. So the 93rd Academy Awards were over the weekend. I just want to say, by the way, this is our fourth Oscars we are covering. Jesus, we're getting into Juliana Rancic territory. I'm frightened for us, but... I'm Brad Goreski. A smart bow tie for you, perhaps? Uh, And, well, we're still technically in this pandemic, so they did that thing award shows do, which is spread people out and put some people via satellite. The Grammys did this most successfully, I think. Mm -hmm. And the Oscars, 
in a way, by putting it at Union Station and spreading people along in what looked like a banquet was cute. But I think the lesson is you just can't recreate the majesty of an award show at this time. I think that's just the truth of it. I think it looked cute. Like, there were... (laughs) Cute sounds so condescending. (laughs) (laughs) It was sweet. Yes. It was adorable. (laughs) This was stuff that definitely worked. I mean, from the jump, watching everyone look like they were hanging out at Home Goods um, at the pre-show was ugly um it was it was sort of garish to just sort of watch like angela bassett in you know like a beautiful gown look like she's trying to find um you know a toaster but um (laughs) once regina king grabbed an oscar statue and started strutting yeah into union station and i'd forgotten soderbergh was producing it Mm -hmm. but when the title started coming up i was like oh this is soderbergh like that Mm -hmm was like an iconic Oscars entrance for me. And I think Mm -hmm. that they should explore doing some stuff like that in the future. And I thought the layout, actually, of the Union Station actually looked good. Unfortunately, the lighting was, like, so soft and Mm -hmm. weird, it made it look like it was, like, the People's Choice Awards or something. (laughs) To me, me it made it look like like they were at a church or something. Like, sunlight Mm -hmm. was pouring into the room in a way that made everybody kind of fade in and out. Yeah. Uh, But what I appreciated specifically about Regina King walking in was, one, it was kind of a VMAs move, right? The classic days of the VMAs were, you know, Eminem or somebody would walk in in a really grand way. But also, it reminded me of a movie, like Jackie Brown or something. And I was was really pleased to see that because she really commanded that moment, shockingly, Regina King, living legend. I know. She's incredible. I like when she was walking in, I'm not like the biggest movie person. I'm more of a television person. But the way that the titles came up and her strut and, you know, felt like a very like movie shot. I was like, oh, I like movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It made me feel like, oh, yeah, like I want to be here. I want to have like a theatrical experience. You know, my house was dark when I was watching it. And then the TV gave me a certain feel and. You know, it was nice, and I it for a second because it didn't last very long. My interest waned very quickly, but for a second, I was wrapped. Regina King is just she's enthralling. Yeah. Although it throws me off a lot whenever she talks for an extended amount of time, because then I start to hear Riley from the Boondocks, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I can't take you seriously at these Oscars because I I'm expecting <laughs> n words quickly. <laughs> To hop off of you talking about, like, it felt like a movie um, yeah. in the opening, right? I think that is the ultimate draw of the Oscars. The Grammys is highlighting, you know, people singing and performances, and, you know, you're getting a taste of the music industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscars are supposed to be sort of an advertisement for the industry. And the reason I would watch them as a kid and the reason why even the conservatives who will always seem to know everything that happens in every award show so they can complain about it, the reason they watch it is because they also like movies too, you know? And it should make you feel like this is a world you want to be a part of, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I came to Los Angeles because I'm watching the Oscars every year and I'm like, I want to be a part of that. After the opening 
nothing else felt truly yeah. cinematic and yeah. i couldn't you like you couldn't tell me that steven soderbergh produced anything but the opening yeah exactly right totally totally well also they kept clips away from us for so long like we kept talking about the vague idea of these movies ex- and never got into what nomadland really looked like or yeah. what the father really mm. looked like until well into the ceremony and i think that was uh, a really strange decision. I don't know. Because like, you know Americans like, don't like reading yes. and they don't like listening to people talk for a long ass time. Show yeah. the clip. <laughs> also, <laughs> specifically, now I thought the content of a lot of the speeches was actually great. Like people talking about personal histories and knowing Oscar history and yeah. knowing like I'm the first person to do this or it's a shame I'm the first person yes. to do this. Things like that. But at the same time, Everyone just decided they were going to go for seven minutes. I mean, it was, it was a, <laughs> right in a row that was really hard to take. I mean, like, specifically if you're just kind of an amateur Oscars viewer or whatever. Do you know how I felt watching this Oscars? Um, Ira, when we saw the Madonna Madame X concert in person, <laughs> and you're in a room full of people who are there to hear, like, Like a Virgin in Vogue. Yes. And you're like, but I, and I know we're just going to get, like, Madonna's weird new eight-minute shit. <laughs> And, like, I'm embarrassed because people don't understand that they're going to get something that's not as entertaining as what they want, Mm -hmm. even though I love this thing. I could sit in this all day. So I was happy for me and yet consummately, in an empath way, worried on behalf of the Ray Sonny's watching. (laughs) Yeah, I was, you know, the, the minute I was like, oh, I don't think I care about this much anymore was when, God forgive me, because I'm sure he worked so hard and this was the the moment of his life, but when the Danish filmmaker won for Best Foreign Film, I was like, oh, we yeah. can't For do another it. round. I couldn't <laughs> do it. I couldn't. <laughs> I started playing Tetris on my phone. Like, oh, he God. specifically like had like four good emotional moments in his speech. Obviously, like his daughter uh, died during the production of Another Round. Yeah. I know, I sound like a monster. I sound like a monster now. He couldn't bring it to like a couple of moments. He kept yeah. searching for other sentiments to bring in and I, it lost me too. No, and listen, we're all writers. So I love yeah. whenever like the Oscars pretends um, like they care about screenwriters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some <laughs> some like... years they'll even have like, I really like the year where they had the clips playing and then you would see some of the screenplay on the other side of the screen. Yeah, and it was mm-hmm. like typing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, the decision to open the show mm-hmm. with the writers, even I don't want to see that because I'm like, D- ain't you trying to get people to keep watching this? Like, Wait. we didn't open with any stars. Yeah, really okay, weird. That, that makes sense. I understand that. But I thought it was really touching. And then you go straight into international feature. It was very touching. And I like the words um, that were being said to people. You know, I liked, you know, um, the intimacy. Bringing up I, the, the intimacy, kind of that's talking about their me. first jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that. The, I liked Aaron Sorkin for like two seconds. He usually speaks <laughs> even when he's silent. But I was like, oh, okay. You stood serving popcorn. You cute. You cute with Paulina Porisco on your arm. Okay, you a top model. All right. Uh, yeah, P.S. I was not aware of that couple. No, so when I just she appeared and was like literally on his shoulder, she's like, I'm in this picture now. Like uh, he has a different random girlfriend every Oscar ceremony. And they are always stunning. Yeah. They are always rudely yeah. beautiful. What are you doing, like, man? I need to be Aaron Sorkin. Okay. His last Oscars, he was dating Molly's game. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then what, at one point, for a couple of Oscars, there was Kristen Chenoweth, yes? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's right. Yes. And he still has, um, he still looks, he has the Jim J. Bullock glasses. So I'm always <laughs> instinctively on his side from a, from a classic TV perspective. <laughs> uh, that stuff is definitely helpful. You know, mentioning that Aaron Sorkin like used to serve popcorn at the movies and stuff. I like those insights because that felt like stuff that we never really learn about people in the industry. And some of that I feel like wasn't even in people's like Wikipedia's that you could just look it up. Like it, it felt like good information to learn about people. Yeah. But I just felt that the ordering of that was yeah. a yeah, bit off. Like to do just both of the screenplay awards and then jump into international feature and to hold off on every single acting category until the end um, was very weird to me. And in this case, the very end. Well, I mean, let's talk about the, I don't want to say <laughs> elephant in the room because it's the only thing anybody's talking about, which is that they moved Best Picture a couple slots behind mm-hmm. and then tr- banked on the drama of actress and actor to end uh-huh. the show. And I think both of the people they thought were going to win, which, by the way, were never guarantees, so I don't know why they banked on this. They mm-hmm. thought Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis were, would win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a movie that everybody... I think agrees is a B minus. Oh, so it's like you know. <laughs> Do we all agree? I didn't know. I didn't see it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. You know, I and I'm speaking as someone who fucking loves August Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started as a playwright. Uh, we did Ma Rainey in college. Um, oh really? Did you perform? Who'd you play? Well. We halfway did Ma Rainey in okay. college. It's it's another reason why Loyola University Chicago will always be on my hit list. Um, we were doing a we were doing a black box production of it um, with our black theater workshop class. I was cast in it. Um, we were hired a white stage manager uh, oh who was boy. sort of a mess. Oh uh, no! And we continually talked about him being a mess. And then <laughs> I guess the show went over budget, and then it was canceled. Oh. <laughs> Uh, which was very appropriate for Ma Rainey. Ma Rainey's rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love the play. It's one of my favorite it's August beautiful. Wilson plays. Yeah, and obviously absolutely. he's one of the greatest American playwrights. But the adaptation wasn't great for me. Okay. Um, I, it, George C. Wolf's um, production of Fences was better for me. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But I'm sort of now at the point where when Denzel makes the next August Wilson play please get someone else to direct it. Okay. Because George C. Wolf just seems to be translating, just taking it and putting it on screen. And you you need sort of like a defter hand and sort of a point of view if you're going to take theater and make it as a film. You know, otherwise just film the stage show. Because if it's just going to be that, give me something else. And I thought the performances were good. Chadwick was amazing in it. And he's definitely deserved the nomination I would actually say that Viola, as fucking amazing as she is, that was one of her lesser performances. Oh, wow. I think it's, I, I think it's an interesting character for her to play. But unfortunately, I think something that's hard for people to vote for is a small size leading performance. If you're talking about Anthony Hopkins and Frances McDormand, who ended up winning these trophies, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as liking those movies without being enraptured by those performances. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Oh, yeah, Ray, the problem with that is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom... She's in the title, but she is not the main character of the show. She's very supporting um, in it. And it just has that name because that was the name of her band. So would you have preferred that they nominate her for supporting? 
Is that absolutely? Yeah, I guess so. Though I, I, there's something awkward about Viola Davis just having two supporting actress Oscars. Like, yeah. is she really are she- a Shelley Winters, a Diane Weist? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that does this so well, which is translating a theatrical work to uh, a movie space and adding something and being cinematic is The Father, which won for adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't seen this yet. I don't think anybody would watch that movie and think Anthony Hopkins didn't give the best performance of the year. And in fact, I think it's the best best actor win since Silence of the Lambs, which was his first nomination back in 1991. Guys, how is that his first nomination? This is a man who was in The Fucking Lion in Winter. That is crazy. I want to say about the Anthony Hopkins thing, and this is more of a general complaint about social media. I get that we're rooting for everybody black. But um, there then comes the point when people are like, Anthony Hopkins won this. Like, we just given this to white people again. I'm like, here's one thing I will say. You can want Chadwick Boseman to win, and I get how much he meant to us as people, uh, specifically black people, specifically someone who's met and interviewed him. If you have not seen any of the other movies that are nominated, (laughs) maybe you should be quiet. Because it's always someone being like, how did Viola um, not win? Uh, and it's also like, well, did you see Francis in Nomadland? Right. Because listen, I mean, that white woman acts her ass off every time I see her in something. No. But also, equality isn't giving all the black people all the awards. Either, of course. Right. right. And, that's the, and that's the second <laughs> point, you know? when it, It's like, yes, when we have the awards, it was like, start nominating us for shit and giving us awards. But that doesn't then in turn mean... We get all of them. Nominate and give a black person an award every single fucking year. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I was curious, Lewis, what you thought about... I know that you love Frances McDormand and you thought she was deserving. Sure. But they trying to Susan Lucci, my girl, Glenn. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, well, at least we have a positive conversation to have about Glenn as far as I'm concerned, which is mm-hmm. she did this bit where they were like uh, Lil Rel came out and did some yes, Oscar trivia. And then and then Glenn did debut and referenced <laughs> EU. And that's and by the way, she played it so well, I didn't know if it was scripted at first. But then she said DC based outfit EU. I was like, okay, yeah, then okay. You, this is scripted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was at first trying to like, I was like, wait, am I? What's happening here? Yeah, right. totally. I I don't know what she should have won for. I don't have the same access to Oscars trivia in my brain like you do in your vault of a brain. But like, I don't know what she should have won for, but it just seems astonishing to me that she wouldn't have won yet and that she's eight times. I wouldn't show up to your party ever again. Do you hear me? <laughs> I was out here being the old white lady doing the black people dance at your show and you still didn't give me a, ta- a statue? Get out of here. Never again. Not showing up. I think Ira and I probably agree that we would pick both pick Dangerous Liaisons, which she Absolutely. lost to Jodie Foster and The Accused for, which okay. if you watch The Accused, it's among the lifetime year of <laughs> movies anybody's ever won for. It's not a memorable Jodie performance for me. Okay. It's also a performance that you win for because what happens to the character is so brutal. So, so bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As opposed to, I think, the nature of the performance. She also happened to lose um, to... Meryl Streep's worst performance yeah. and worst win, mm-hmm. which is the Iron Lady. So she should have won for Albert Nobbs, too. Okay. Which is, okay, that's a big swing, though, because if you've watched Albert Nobbs, you didn't fall asleep in Albert Nobbs, which is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of a good year, though, because Viola was up for the help that year. Rudy yeah. Mara, Dragon Tattoo, and Michelle Williams, My Week with Marilyn. Oh, well, then I would have given it to Viola that year. Uh, D- I, I don't remember who definitely. else was nominated. Yeah. Absolutely Dangerous Liaisons is what she should have that for. Okay. And, you know, it's up in the air the um, 88 year because she was nominated for Fatal Attraction, but Cher in Moonstruck, I mean... Both of those are amazing performances. Yeah, but I mean, sure, but I feel like Fatal Attraction kind of hit like American culture in a different way than Sharon Moon's. True. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not that you can give retroactive uh, Oscars for pop cultural impact. I'm just saying, though. I know about bunny boilers. That is interesting. Yeah. I think that you should. When we were watching, I leaned over to Lewis and I was like, I would love the Oscars to have like a TBT award mm-hmm. where the voting body is sort of like rectifying something wrong. from a breeze. Yeah. It's like, you know what? We should have given you that Malcolm X award. Yeah. Then we wouldn't have to, yeah, then we also wouldn't have to keep rewarding Spike Lee now for wax stuff. Well, we, you know, we can just handle <laughs> it. We can just redo all the early 90s shit. And then, you know, we can't, we got to stop giving him Black Klansman's awards, you know. Maybe if you get an Oscar, you only for sure get to keep it for five years. Then somebody may repossess it and repurpose it and give it to somebody else. <laughs> If you're deserving. That's cruel, but I like it. Yeah, right. No, there should be t- you should be terrified to have an Oscar. It's like a yes. monkey's paw thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lewis wants to make it into an actual game show. <laughs> but I still think we should give away Kevin Spacey's Oscars. Oh, no, that's oh. what I'm saying. Please. I mean, throw them in a river, if anything. Do you think that we should be considering people's behavior and conduct and things outside of performance when we sort of re- consider their career or even part of award shows and um, giving accolades. It's hard because I don't think at the time anyone would say Kevin Spacey didn't earn those two Oscars. They're mm-hmm. kind of the definitive dramatic performances of those years. I mean, that American Beauty performance? I mean, I, I'm just saying <laughs> that year. Oh, I guess that was uh, uh, Russell Crowe and The Insider, too. Probably would have given him that. Yeah, I hate that fucking movie. Okay, give that award to my telephone slamming king. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I liked it when I watched it, but I was also a kid when I watched it. My grown-up self was like, I roll, you know? That I feel like it's what, there's a specific genre of movie that is your favorite movie when you're 13. Yes. Like, you discover what prestige is or something that's a little bit naughty. Yes. The number one movie in this genre is the movie Dogma. <laughs> you think like, this is so crazy. My mind is blown. And then you watch it as an adult and you're like, not funny. Oh, God, yeah. Naked Alanis Morissette. <laughs> a lot of grown straight male adults would do well to rewatch yes. the Boondock Saints. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Boondock Saints, yes. I just want to say one more thing before we move on. Something that uh, irked me about Best Picture being moved is that the grandeur of getting to announced best picture was lost and like Rita Moreno mm. was the legend who was there so I feel like we we took a moment from her that would have been spectacular and which of course calls to mind the horrible in memoriam montage that f- sped by with the like editing bravura of a Hype Williams <laughs> video yeah. <laughs> I was like am I looking at Cicely Tyson through a fisheye lens right now yeah. they were like these bitches is dead goodbye <laughs> they press play on a Stevie Wonder song on Spotify yeah. couldn't even have like you heard the skips in the CD shit they were not interested like damn you couldn't have had her come back up and sing yeah right <laughs> Oh, her, by the way, youngest Oscar winner we have now, born in 1997, Jennifer Lawrence, 
found dad in a ditch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, that's gonna, that's gonna hurt my feelings. You should not have told me that because I'm gonna have to sit with that all day, Louis. Thank you. <laughs> Girl, I'm born in 86. It wears on me too. Oh my gosh. She, like Monica Lewinsky was happening when she was born and I remember it. That's not yeah. good. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we wrap, I do want to say that maybe um, this is helping um, the idea uh, that I suggested last week, Lewis, um, which is that Glenn Close and Diane Warren would lose yes. again, uh, and that they really need to team up in Sunset Boulevard, the musical finally, and let Diane Warren write an original song for it, and then they can finally win. Or conversely... Seeing Glenn Close do debut and have so much fun with Lil Rel, mm-hmm. I'm like, stop doing these whack movies like Hillbilly Elegy, okay? Yeah. Have your agent call up Barry Jenkins and be like, I want to be the white woman in a black film and then get an <laughs> actual Oscar for something we care about. Yes. <laughs> I feel like black people would also stop complaining about um, certain white actors winning awards if they're winning awards for being like the white person in a black movie we love. Yes. Mm. Also, I think that black people have an affinity for Glenn Close. I know I do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Glenn Close is like ferocious. Yes. Yeah. Glenn, pander to us. That'll get you your Oscar now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see Glenn Close just like being, I don't know, an evil racist in a movie to Zendaya. <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, no, no. I want, her, I want her to have a mentorship. No, no, no. no, no Some no. 1940s was, racist movie. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was, I was thinking more condescending liberal. You know, thinking, think mm. uh, Finding Forrester. Think. Uh, oh, love Forrester. that. Love that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A mentor. So, yes, yeah, we yeah. need Glenn to teach a poor black kid in the hood how to play drums. You hear me? Mm, okay. <laughs> She'll teach it. Storm Reed how to how to uh, <laughs> be in a band. Exactly. <laughs> She's gonna teach Dominique Fishback guitar, you know? <laughs> Dangerous knobs. Dangerous knobs. <laughs> Dominique is in a music school and yes. she discovers that her teacher used to be in like a band in the seventies, did yes. a bunch of cocaine and dropped out of the music industry. Yes. Beautiful. Glenn Close, Sold. call us. Call us. Yeah. We got you. <laughs> oh, when we're back, we'll be joined by Ed Helms. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand. That was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to barefoot dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, barefoot dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. 
uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a comedy great. Without him, there would be no The Office, there would be no The Hangover, and here he is today with both a TV show and a movie. So please welcome the star of Rutherford Falls and Together Together, Ed Helms. Hi, guys. Uh, Wow, that was a very powerful (laughs) intro. And one that we can never know whether or not it was accurate. <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I have to think there would probably be a hangover <laughs> without me. Just There are other actors in Hollywood, I'm just saying. I mean, it would be different. But uh, anyway. Well, we don't know if there'd be a hangover three without you. Okay, fair enough. How about that? <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. A TV show and a movie. How very Helen Hunt in 1997. You must be incredibly overwhelmed. Is it nice to be busy during this particular time? Mm-hmm. I do like being busy. This feels a little. This is this is kind of this is crossing into like too busy for sure. Got it. Mm. Um, but but it is it's fun because I love both of these projects so much. I mean it's. I feel lucky whenever I love something that I got to work on because that's not always the case. Sometimes you you pour your heart into something. It just didn't turn out the way you thought or hoped, and but you still have to go on a big press tour and <laughs> pump it up. But in this case, well, I am insanely passionate about both of these projects. Okay. Okay. I actually have a question, though, about pumping out a project that you are not proud of because whenever I have t- covered press junkets and I'm interviewing people and the movie isn't great, I'm like, is this – hell for them like are they sitting there thinking (laughs) nothing could be worse than me having to tout this thing i mean explain what that feels like you don't have to like name any names (laughs) well i I will tell you there's this funny thing that happens when you start talking about a project you the more you talk the more interviews you do and the more you talk about it and the more you sort of like pump it up it has this weird psychological effect where you kind of start to drink your own Kool-Aid and you're like, yeah, this is great, right, guys? And like, it just becomes <laughs> it just becomes this sort of positive feedback loop. And that's actually a really nice thing. What does drive you insane in a press junket when you get asked the same questions over and over and over again for like mm-hmm. weeks mm-hmm. on end, that does another weird thing to your brain which is that it makes you question reality. <laughs> wow. It just, makes you, it just makes you start to question, like, what, what do, where am I? Am I in a Groundhog Day? Am I in a feedback loop? You keep, you sort of like, you're trying to make the answers fresh. You're trying to say new, fresh things. But mm-hmm. it just has this weird effect where you're, it drives you mad. Yeah. Mm. Drives you a little bit, a little bit bonkers. Well, now I feel like a ton of pressure talking to you. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> no. I don't want no, to that... send you into a movie. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> so yeah, guys, we're not talking about anything that I <laughs> that I'm working on. We're just gonna go into all kinds of weird areas. No, that's the job. What I'm saying is like, who cares? Like these are such little tiny celebrity gripes, right? 
Who cares? But no, but but I understand because it, first of all, it's not just that you're asking, getting asked the same question once or twice. It's like 35 times if we're talking about junkets, etc. Right. So right. I would imagine approaching every response with freshness is not only super daunting, uh, uh, but Maddening. No, I, I, I'm glad to hear it. I've never heard that spoken before. So <laughs> it's so weird because it creeps up on you. You'll be like three hours into a junket and be like, mm-hmm. I just feel weird. I feel kind of <laughs> insane right now. Yeah. I'm feeling unhinged. <laughs> what happened? But conversely, when you are working for an outlet that lets you like ask different questions, or like the time that I had to actually do uh, a podcast interview for someone, but the only time I could interview them was during a junket where they've been asked the same question all day. You do sort of catch, I feel like, a celebrity off guard when you ask them the question they haven't been asked 35 times all day, because then they'll pause and they'll be like, oh, wait, I haven't answered this question. And then they have to think about it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can be a little scary. but um, <laughs> Yeah. We, I, I think uh, <laughs> curveballs are always welcome in a, jun- in a press junket setting, for sure. Um, getting to your movie, though, Together Together, my question is, what, is it, what was it like being on set with your co-star, Patty Harrison, because we've all worked with her and love her, and mm-hmm. I would describe her as controlled chaos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect explanation. Perfect. Oh, that's really funny. And uh, I, yeah, I think that's a very accurate description of her uh, in when she's in her element. What was really kind of unique about this movie experience with Patty and with our uh, incredible writer-director, Nicole Beckwith, is that... I think Patty and I were both kind of a little bit out of our, I wouldn't say comfort zone because we did get, we did find a comfort very quickly, but we were out of sort of our normal routine of like cracking jokes and, and like trying to find the the hardest zinger for this scene or, or, you know, improvising and trying to riff and get comedy fireworks going. That's, that's just not what this movie was. Mm -hmm. And it's not the, it wasn't the energy on set either. And, and Nicole just set this really kind of benevolent, creatively open and, and creatively curious vibe that, Patty and I just kind of melted into, and there was a really good chill energy on that set. And I think for both of us, it was a little bit of a different vibe than we're used to. So maybe Patty was a little bit less chaotic in this uh, iteration, but <laughs> off camera, she, yeah, she's she can be an amazingly wonderful handful. <laughs> but, but no, does that mean it's not a given necessarily that a set will feel? normal and calm are you used to arriving on set and it feels actually chaotic and you can expect that every set every production has its own kind of life force and its own energy and that's really i think that tone is set by the leadership whether it's directors department heads and or producing elements of this production. So sometimes it feels very chaotic, yes. But a really good production, it they all they're they're run like well-oiled machines, but in the creative space of a production, like right at the kind of like red hot crucible of creativity, you know, like between the actors and and director uh, and sometimes writers that are there that can feel a little bit like, yeah, just like throw stuff at the wall. Let's go crazy. Let's just have fun. Let's, what do you think? Should we change this? Is this working? I don't know. All right. You know, and that can feel a little crazy. Then you, 
work on a movie like Together Together where the script is so good and everybody has like full buy-in on these scenes. There's, there, there isn't, you don't show up to set feeling like we need to fix stuff. So there is a, there's a calmness to the approach and to the conversations on set. I think there's, a, particularly in, in comedy television, there's a, a sense of like you're always fixing things. You're always fixing a scene to make sure it worked with that other thing that you shot. Oh, what about this from episode two? Is this going to, we need him to say this line or she needs to actually have a different reaction to that information or whatever. There's like a constant um, churn of of evaluation and, and modification, but like movies can be a little bit more chill. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of television, so I quite like Rutherford Falls. I loved it. Um, Thank you. And I was really taken by um, your character's inability to re- uh, let go of their own personal history and their relationship to their history in a time where people are trying to um, incorporate other people's histories or let go of things that might not have been so great for other people. And I was wondering if that was sort of your real life experience in this moment or something that you would relate to as like a white man um, reckoning with um, what's happening around the world today and sort of our collective American discussion on race? Yeah, great question. Um, that What you're speaking to is exactly what it was the sort of kernel that the show came from. Mm-hmm. Mike Schur and I first started just having an abstract conversation about if we were to make a show, like what would it be about? And mm-hmm. uh, and there was a lot of crazy shit going on in the world. And we just were looking around like, why are people uh, so uh, burdened and or uh, obsessed with these historical narratives, which are oftentimes totally incomplete and or totally inaccurate, mm-hmm. or we're just sort of like picking and choosing the parts of, an, of of history that we like. And for sure, to answer your question, this is something that I have like uh, felt in myself uh, at times, like as I've just been on this journey of discovery and understanding about um, the experiences of other people, in particular marginalized communities, and some of my own involuntary reflexive mm-hmm. reactions where it's like, no, no, no. Well, that's, that feels like an attack on me if you're, yeah. if you're saying that. And so just being able to trying to step back and like, and, and look at those feelings and, and, and ask like, are those coming from like a legitimate place? And then we, we landed on this really fascinating, um, I heard a podcast, uh, I can't remember what it was but it was talking about the backfire effect, which is when, if, if you have like a deeply held core belief and you hear evidence that your belief is totally incorrect, most human beings, doesn't matter if you're progressive or conservative or whatever, most human beings uh, will n- not hear the new evidence. They will double down even harder on their original belief. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're seeing this all over the place, all over the world, and all over, you know, certainly in American society, in small ways and in big ways, and in like very micro personal uh, individual ways, and in sort of like community ways. And that was fascinating, just that this is a unconscious phenomenon oh, in, yeah. in all of us. I'm guilty of it all the time. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody <laughs> does this. It's it. 
You know, and and what's ironic is that we're so obsessed with pointing it out in in our adversary. Yeah, of course. Right? It, it's like because it's so easy to see in other people, but we never see it in ourselves. Oh yeah. And so that became this core question of the show: is like, what what if this guy is really suffering from the backfire effect? Yeah. And then it, the show became what it yeah. is. <laughs> no, it, I I I was curious about that while I was watching because it felt um, so real, so like organic, you know. And I I remember like having discussions about certain issues with my friends where it was like suddenly I was passionate about a thing that I didn't know I felt strongly about or that I was still married to. And so to see that come alive on screen, I was like, oh, I recognize that. And it was interesting to f to find you relatable in those moments, um, especially over things like your last name or, uh, or you know, your legacy. Legacy matters to me too, even though sometimes I'm sure um, things that I'm obsessed with or traditions I'm connected to are harmful to other people and so sure mm -hmm. yeah it's so hard to reconcile those things mm -hmm. sierra uh teller ornelas who came on board with mike and and me very early on and really she's she's one of our co-creators and yeah. uh, and the showrunner um she made a point to me we were on some conference call about something and somebody said something not evil but just thoughtless and mm -hmm. and then somebody else kind of pointed it out and it was a tense moment on this call and sierra and i were just kind of like reflecting on it afterwards and and she was like yeah nobody likes to be told they don't get it mm -hmm. <laughs> like right. totally. no, nobody no totally. nobody likes to be told and it's true it's it's almost it becomes more about whether or not you get it mm -hmm. than whether or not you're right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. And and that that feeling that somehow like, oh, maybe I'm I'm not as tapped into this or un maybe I'm not understanding this as much as I thought. It's so hard to find that humility sometimes. Right. Yeah. But it's it's just so critical. And and it's such a journey. I feel I have I have been so humbled by this whole project and learning so much more about Native American culture in mm -hmm. uh, in our country and the conversation around representation in storytelling mm -hmm. and how having fully half of our writers room be Native American mm. and Sierra uh, also uh, is Navajo and how that changed the experience and snuck up on me in different ways mm. what, that I that I was like oh wow this scene or this story or this this dialogue is completely different than I thought it would be mm. when I when I thought about how, because of the voices in this room. Right. And it's so much better. And it's so much mm -hmm. these other voices in this room are loving this scene now in a way that I couldn't have even considered or thought. It's like I understood intellectually the value of representation, but somehow being on this project and being really immersed in this, I now feel it in a way that I don't think I understood before. Right. Mm -hmm. And the show's also really funny, too. It's not just like this heavy exploration of, you know, <laughs> race or whatever. I don't want to give off that impression. You're saying I, it's cute. I giggle. Yeah. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah. I giggled or whatever. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this uh, sort of um, idea of your legacy, you know, and like even mixing that with nostalgia, uh, I'm interested in how maybe you even um, approach comedy or sort of writing differently? Because I would have to imagine, you know, um, when you're taught comedy, you know, and things that are funny to you, you know, you're sort of like, 
talking about the world and how you see it. Um, and that's always why um, people love the perspectives of comedians, you know? And just thinking about how maybe The Office has become such a big um, thing that a lot of people are rewatching now, um, and especially during quarantine, um, what it feels like your idea of what's funny, um, if that's changed at all from when you first started doing comedy, um, or if you even approach like telling jokes a different way um, than you might have approached them, you know, um, over 10 years ago. Yeah. My sense of humor, what I find funny, has definitely evolved a ton over the last 20 years since I've been mm -hmm. kind of in the professional comedy space. From when I started on The Daily Show or even my stand-up comedy way before that, like, I've always, I mean, maybe this is just insecurity more than like a deliberate choice, but I've always, my comedy's always come from a place of like uh, awkwardness and sort of like mm -hmm. this come from a place of all the ways that I don't understand the world around me, uh, which I really feel a lot. <laughs> the time. Um, I just don't understand how anything works. I don't, I look at a building. I'm like, who built that? How did that get there? Like, how do you just, how do you make something like that? Or like, yeah. how does this car that I'm driving, how does this work? There's so much going on in here. Uh, but, uh, but the same goes for sort of social constructs too of like, why, why is that interaction inherently awkward? Or why is, right. why are these two people in that, that come from these different backgrounds? Why are they clashing in this, uh, in this way? And, uh, or why am I feeling awkward in an interaction with someone for, from a different background and in a certain context? So in that way, that approach or, or, and like I said, I don't know if, I don't even think that was a deliberate choice, but it's, definitely informed uh, an evolution of my sense of humor such that I'm just so much more aware of the ways that comedy can be hurtful and or exclusionary. And some things that I just used to think were super funny, I would be like, no way. That's like not that, that actually like causes pain mm -hmm. for, for somebody. And I just wouldn't even have thought about that 20 years ago. My daily show pieces, for example, a lot of those are the craft of making daily show field segments is a lot about making your interview subject uncomfortable mm -hmm. <laughs> and feel awkward. I justified all of that by thinking, oh, I'm on the right side of this issue and this person's not. And so uh, I, I can make them squirm or sort of like question them or make them look silly or something. I don't think I would take that job now. I mean, I'm proud of that chapter of my life and it was very much a part of my evolution as a human being, but I am not as I'm not in a place now where that approach feels as effective or appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, this is a complete curveball, but I just want to say that I've always found the movie Cedar Rapids underrated. I know you produced it too. And Anne Heche, it must be said, is one of my favorite and specific actresses in that she feels to me like the last of actresses from the 70s, where there's a real intensity and a, a ferocity that they bring, kind of a feral quality. And I just want to know what it was like working with her, because I never get to see her anymore. <laughs> uh, she's the best. That, that was such an awesome production. We were all holed up in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the winter. She was fully committed. John C. Riley was fully... Everyone just... 
I don't know. That that was a very special moment. That was something that was right after the first hangover, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was in a moment of like a lot of turmoil for me in terms of like, well, how am I going to navigate my next steps? And what, you know, a lot of just overthinking and over analysis. But that project came together and it was such a feeling of like, yes, this is a good thing this is a, a great team sigourney weaver yeah and i i actually think i mean ann ann's incredible and she was so fun to work with um i think that john c Riley, it's my favorite performance of his yeah is, mm. is in that movie and and i had a front row seat the whole time i there were times i remember sitting there and being like in a scene with with him and he'd be doing <laughs> something there's a scene in a stairwell where he's like completely trashed and he's talking about these like very poignant things, but in this very flippant Midwestern repressed way. And it's so heartbreaking and so hilarious. And I just remember staring at him being like, this is, I'm watching John C. Riley like crush this. <laughs> uh, and he's like four feet away from me. This is so cool. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. I'm really proud of that movie. Yeah. yeah. He also is like he's one of those people who has been in everything for so long. Yeah. Like, this is a man in The River Wild. Just like mm -hmm. every movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um I guess I just wanted to ask uh what's something that has made you bust out laughing recently? Uh since you talk so much about like how much your comedy's changed. What's just making you laugh? What are you enjoying? The show Mr. Mayor. Uh, yeah. that Ted Danson show <laughs> for some reason, I, I don't know if like on paper, if you wrote, if you described that show, I would be like, yeah, that's my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. But I wound up watching it. My wife and I would just watch it like, and, and, and it was the, like, uh, as we were, you know, going to bed, it was sort of the last thing we'd watch. And, and maybe it was something about the vaccines were coming out. There was like <laughs> hope in, in the, in the yeah. world. And all of a sudden I just, we found ourselves like, like having to pause it, laughing so hard. Bobby Moynihan, who I've known for 20 years from UCB days, more than that, mm -hmm. 25 years. We're not good friends or anything, but I, I, I've always been a fan of his, but he crushes on that show. Yeah. He yeah, is so funny. Sure. Anyway, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm. He also just seems cool. He's always on Big Brother. People who like reality TV, I trust them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go, too, I mean, they brought up, um, Lewis brought up Cedar Rapids. I also want to tell you that you are also part of one of my favorite comedies of the past 10 years, um, which is We're the Millers. Uh, and every time I've seen someone on like Instagram, like showing that they've been watching it during quarantine. I've always DM'd with them and been like, I didn't know other people love this movie as much. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people really do. Uh, I just remember sitting and watching it, uh, I think at like The Grove uh, in 2013. And I hadn't laughed at like a film uh, in theaters, a comedy film in theaters like that in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that movie has some hard laughs in it. Um, the spider bite scene. I, mm. I, it's like yeah. a, it's a total like, you know, lowbrow gross out gag, but it's <laughs> executed so perfectly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a fun one. Nick Offerman's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jennifer Aniston also is so funny in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and I love whenever she gets to do comedy. 
comedy films, I guess. She did do Friends for several years. I guess say. She's a stranger to comedy. Famous comedy role. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I think America agrees she was great on Friends, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There does seem to be a consensus. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Ed. Oh, guys, this yeah. is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Together Together is available in theaters, and Rutherford Falls is out now on Peacock. All 10 episodes. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This week on Keeping Up with the Californians, she's in. Mm. Olympian and reality TV star, well, that's a stretch, uh, Caitlyn Jenner announced her run for California governor amid a recall effort against Gavin Newsom. And if you didn't hear the announcement, you certainly, if you live in California, got those text messages from Team Newsom (laughs) asking if you would like to join the fight and chip in $3 to beat Caitlyn Jenner. And no, I do not. <laughs> I'm not on her side, but I'm certainly not giving Gavin Newsom $3. Caitlyn Jenner is the weird case of somebody who is definitely an LGBT icon, but the entire length of her time as an icon has been spent making sure she gets even one thing correct. <laughs> so why... <laughs> Did she make the jump to decide we are now so behind her that she is a thought leader that we should trust her vision of a future even though she is still committed to being a Republican and hasn't put the two and two together that, Mm -hmm. no, you can't be LGBT and a proud Republican. You can't. You cannot be one. Sorry. They're literally passing anti-trans children bills in Republican Senates around the country. And she's like, yeah, I'm a trans icon and running on a Republican. Like, I, what, what, is, what, what is wrong with you, Caitlin? And truly, honestly, I feel bad for Kim in this scenario because <laughs> Kanye just pulled this last year. I thought I got away from it. I thought I had a moment to breathe. Nobody undermining me anymore. Nobody, and she's just, it's like... Now it's your own parent. Yeah, it's like, what a terrible stepmom thing to do. It's like, oh, let me revisit this trauma upon my family. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the other thing, too, is that she spent the entirety of Trump's like run and then presidency Mm -hmm. doing this whole please Mr. Trump you know if you'll just listen to me I can tell you about trans rights and how you should Mm -hmm. support them and clearly that shouldn't happen so what is the end game here I that's why I don't think she means it I think (laughs) this is one of the unfortunate things about Trump running and then accidentally winning because ultimately I still don't believe that he wanted to win But I think he just wanted to run to make money. And 
we're going to see a bunch of celebrities take on that foolishness. There was like California was always ripe for, you know, celebrity transferring into political clout. Like this is that kind of state. But I think when we'll start seeing like a rash of celebrities realize that you don't even have to appear serious like Arnold Schwarzenegger being married to Maria Shriver, for example, or like now you could just be Caitlyn Jenner, who's been wrong about everything, like you said, for a long time. And associated with, I don't know, a clown car family of people just in plastic surgery stepping out of clown cars. I I don't know. It's it's disappointing because it feels deeply unserious to me and I'm not in a place that can do unserious again. We just had unserious in a way that was like too toxic for me to even dismiss this as an eye rollable thing. You know, Mary Carey and all kinds of people have run for California governor. Mm -hmm. We've seen unseriousness before, but something about unseriousness right now is too traumatic for me for this for me to countenance any of this nonsense that Caitlyn's trying to pull. And wildly unserious too, because her records show that uh, she did not vote in the 2018 gubernatorial election that delivered Newsom his biggest landslide victory for a mm -hmm. non-incumbent since 1930. She didn't vote in the 2003 recall that brought in um, Schwarzenegger. Like, she did not cast ballots in nearly two-thirds of the elections in which she was eligible to vote since 2000. So she's not even voting. That's embarrassing. It's just another project. She should be embarrassed that she's not active as a civically-minded person to begin with. Like, you are a citizen, you're a voter, you should take advantage of your, like, rights, it's your civic duty. And then separately, like, I would be too humiliated to show the holes in my voting record and then ask you to show up for me. Mm -hmm. I've not shown up for anybody, and I'm going to ask you to show up for me? How dare you? Yes, well said. Um, yeah, I just can't picture this person inspiring me ever so it's 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 a pain and a chore to think about as a, as a what you just said is an unserious reality it's like I, I i almost want to say oh this is somebody who has so little faith in the political system to bring thinkers to the fore but it's like no you're just delusional if you think you're the person it should be so mm -hmm. yeah yeah right and her instagrams with like a Caitlyn for California um, mug. It's like you just trying to sell merch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I it's so frustrating because it's another open scam, and I'm tired of people trying to scam me. Like I really am so over. Like Trump has scarred me in a way that is embarrassing. But like I don't need stuff like this anymore. You know. Mm -hmm. And her platform really too, like if she even has one, it's just sort of like going in on how small businesses have been devastated because of the over-restrictive lockdown. And an entire generation of children have lost a year of education and have been prevented from going back to school, participating in activities, or socializing with their friends. So also, her entire reasoning for running is that um, saving people from COVID was bad. Right. <laughs> Deeply unserious. That the, yeah, that there was any sort of sacrifice to keep people safe was wrong what a mm -hmm. why exist well and those are the recall efforts too that's why it's like i don't support noosa but like the people who are trying to recall him um it's all steeped in this closing restaurants mm -hmm. and like having these restrictions during COVID fucked us up you know and it's like 
what was the alternative that you wanted here? Right. You wanted us all to die? Yes. Basically, they wanted people who weren't white and, like, business owners to die. Yeah, and I truly would rather go broke than die, honestly. I really uh, <laughs> I would really not like to stop breathing mm. because you needed to keep your restaurant open. Call me 50 Cent. I want to get rich or, or die. die trying. <laughs> but, um, Wonderful film. Yeah. Also, also uh, I just want to say, like, the only Olympian to reality TV star that anybody should respect is Don Burrell on this season of Top Chef. She is incredible. She is a queen. Really? Yes. Celebrate her. Okay. Celebrate her. Top Chef Hive. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I feel like a lot of people have dipped out of Top Chef at a certain point, mm-hmm. but I want to tell you that it is still excellent. And I love watching it. Yes, absolutely. And so if Don Burrell ran for office, I would I would listen to her. I would listen to what she has. <laughs> um, also, just a brief aside into Caitlyn's uh, history as a quote-unquote reality TV star. She's been a flop constantly because <laughs> I think we all remember. I think, well, the three of us may be the only people who remember I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Of course. Oh, sure, of course. I'm sorry, did we not bring up the mass Singer yet? Certain things should disqualify you, not just from running for office, but from <laughs> leaving the house. That and that performance horrendous. is one of them. It was yeah. horrendous. I, like... My body was folding in half with discomfort. Like I was cringing <laughs> to the point. Like I was contorting. I was do- my spine was doing things that I had never done before. She was so uncomfortable. Ugh. And also, like even if you're stealing from the Trump playbook, at the height of his doing things to be famous and being on reality television, Trump would have never been on The Masked Singer. No. Wow. You actually have a good point. It actually is a little bit too desperate for Trump. Like that's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy. I've never right. I've never once thought that could be true and you just defined it. I want to know how Chris feels about this. <laughs> You've actually found someone in the world more shameless than Donald Trump. I cannot believe it. <laughs> that is terrible. There's Sarah Palin uh, shameless and there's Donald Trump shameless. See, like there are levels. What reality show was Kate, was Sarah Palin on? Oh, The Mass Singer. Recently. The Mass Singer. Oh, she was also on The Mass Singer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her daughter was on uh, Team Mom for a second, Bristol. And Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that just sort of like the go to for Republican chicks who can't read? Like, I, I, I want to <laughs> know. I want to know, like, what what the conservative woman mass singer pipeline, like, who created it? Right. And, who and how can we stop it? it? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how can we block it? Yeah. I mean, I think that might just be as simple as canceling the masked singer. Do we need it? Do we need it? We don't. We don't. I'm I'm disappointed Candy Burris went on it. Oh, I yeah. can't believe no. it. Excuse me, wasn't um Patty LaBelle on it? Let me just yes. a ton of crazy people have been on it. That show has gotten people to be like super fans of Jenny McCarthy and Robin Thicke. I'm not saying I don't enjoy a Robin Thicke song, but also like Nicole Scherzinger. Like this is the lane we've chosen for her. I'm concerned. Um, so I am an undercover black woman who loves Robin Thicke. So okay. <laughs> Speak on it, Ray. Any way to white yeah, so any way to whitewash all the negativity he got a couple years ago, you know, with the whole stealing from Marvin Gaye and mm-hmm. you know, maybe stalking Paula rapey, you know. Mm-hmm. Stalking Paula, making that awful album. And yeah. cheated because... on his beautiful black wife <laughs> and then stalking her on wax. Yes. Yeah. But I'm I'm here for the rehab of Robin Thicke's image because 
Can You Handle It is my favorite Usher song. And he wrote it. And I don't know what to tell you. He's incredible. He's like, he's one of the few people who, do, who does Blue-Eyed Soul. And I quite like lean in, you know. He's the uh, antithesis of Justin Timberlake for me. And so I'm Robin Thicke Hive all day, every day. Mm. Interesting mm-hmm. definition, the antithesis of Justin Timberlake. Yeah. I've not heard it defined that way, and I'm sort of, you really kind of have changed something in my brain. I'm thinking about <laughs> it. Yeah. Think about it. Think about it. Well, unfortunately, the thing that actually got Robin Thicke up out of here was the snitching on Pharrell. Oh, he, right? oh, I thought Pharrell snitched on him. Did Pharrell snitch on him? I, I don't thought remember. that Robin, well, all I know is that like it was their involvement in the Marvin Gaye yeah, um, that was stealing the, scandal. I know they broke up as friends because of it. Yes, yeah. they broke up as friends, and I feel like that is what made his career take a oh. nosedive, right? It wasn't the Paula stuff. I thought it was the video that all these, like, you know, we were in a very, like, men shouldn't look at young women on camera kind of moment. And uh, I thought he went down for that. Mm-hmm. And then with the perfor- the VMA's performance with Miley kind of solidified it, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would just offer that Justin Timberlake knew that you could screw over women, but you couldn't, like, you. he never pissed off Pharrell uh-huh. or other men. Good point, good point. You know? Robin, Robin did. Robin got too big for his britches. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I'm glad you mentioned that as a woman because I'm never going to, like, publicly go out on a platform being like people were overreacting to blurred lines but people were definitely overreacting yeah, I to so blurred too. lines it just happened in a certain time when people were looking at this and being like well this needs to be stopped yeah but I don't I don't need him I don't mind Robin Thicke being a casualty of overvigilance as it relates to like where I don't mind that too much but I didn't see the need to throw him away there either I, I want to say and I don't want to cast away the entire Thick family because first of all <laughs> Alan Thick, friend of Alex, Alex Trebek yeah, yes R. and also the original the writer of the first Wheel of Fortune theme Alan Thick, weirdly um uh, versatile talent singer of the different strokes theme yes canadian canadian white dudes are special in a certain way <laughs> you know they just mm. do something for my black soul i don't know i'm still on that bieber train unfortunately <laughs> oh, God. his tiny desk concert won me back over yes even though i guess he just debuted some like rasta looking hair <laughs> i know i don't even want to think about it i don't want to talk did about he it. Yes, white yeah. people dreads are 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 a are a third rail for me. I don't do it. Don't engage. Don't don't do nothing with. It. Yeah, Coachella is not a country, and you can't be from there. So <laughs> don't do that. I will say, I will say famously, they are often the white people who do like compliment you when they're on drugs at a music festival. So mm. they're very positive. <laughs> I just don't want to see it. Right. <laughs> All right. When we're back. Keep it. And we're back for our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Wahoo. Ray, you're back doing a Keep It again. So what is yours? My Keep It is very specific, but also totally in line with who I am and my front-facing brand. But um, my Keep It (laughs) is to reality TV stands who don't know what they want. Every time Mm. 
Real Housewives of Atlanta comes on. People complain that it's broken, that they should fire this person, that person, that person, this person, that person. But if they were to fire any of those people, you would hate everybody new that they brought on because you've hated everybody new they've brought on that show ever since they started bringing on new people. So stop firing people in your mind on Twitter. <laughs> it's not good for anyone. It also spoils the community viewer experience because if I, you know... As a Kenya Moore stan, I'm always in the minority of my positive opinions about her. But even if I have accepted my role as the only person who still likes her, it's very frustrating when you're watching a show and you're enjoying it to see people say, oh, this sucks. There's no way to save it. Fire everybody. That's not true. It's not correct. And stop doing it. Okay? It's not nice <laughs> to wish people out of a job because they didn't cuss somebody's grandma out. That's crazy. RuPaul's Drag Race fans are the same way, I feel, where like one week they'll be like, this season's horrible. And then next week they completely forget they said that and are like, yes. wow, one of the best episodes I've seen in years or whatever. I, standing online has ruined the experience of reality TV a little bit. And I just wish that we could get it back together. Keep your firing people on reality TV while you're watching this show that they're on, please. Now, you know we bonded early on as both being Kenya Moore stands. Yes. And I am still a Kenya Moore stan. Yes. And if you're not won over by her in this reunion, um, then I don't know what to do for you. Yes. But I will say specifically to Bravo and Housewives um, fans, they seem to forget that they're watching a television show. Yeah. Um, that has to be produced, that has to entertain you. Drag Race yeah. fans, too. They're always the people who say, this person needs to be fired or I wish this person wasn't on the show. And it's, this person is creating conflict for this show so the person yeah. you're actually a fan of um, can react, um, can do things. Yes, fire someone if they're boring as fuck like Eva Marcel or Teddy Mellencamp. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you need someone actually drawing conflict. And I think I've been so mad with people this season on Real Housewives of Atlanta because they've been really mad about Kenya asking questions about the... Um, bolo trip you know mm -hmm. the um bachelorette party and it's like who had sex with a stripper and they're like this is a private thing we turned off the cameras we're having some fun i'm like that's all well and good for some of you and i am firmly on candy's side of like that's her point of view she can argue that mm -hmm. but on the flip side how wild would it be to have a bachelorette party where two people potentially have sex with a stripper and we never hear about it on camera? Exactly. The show people think they want isn't the show they want. And you, we're, we're all people who work in television. And so when you are people who experience the other side of what it takes to make good TV, and if we took the suggestions people think they have and tried to make television, you would hate us all for it. It's so frustrating to see people not know what they're talking about and then insult the good product we actually do have because they think they know better when they don't. Mm. Here, here. That's a good keep it, right? Yeah, you did it well. <laughs> Okay, don't patronize me now. Listen. I'm not patronizing you. You know I stand Kenya. I stand Kenya for years. Yes. <laughs> Shall I go? Yeah, it's your turn, Lewis. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, I'll keep it to myself. I was on Love It or Leave It last week talking mainly about the Oscars. And in talking about Sam Smith, got the pronoun situation wrong. It's not hard. I just forgot about that part of the Sam Smith legacy and said the wrong one. So but it's just not hard to get pronouns right. So keep it to me. We also keep it to you because we made our Oscar predictions last week and I beat you. Oh, you did? I, I certainly mi I missed four, I think, altogether. We missed the same ones. We both thought Viola and Chadwick would win. But I got the supporting actress win. 
Uh, no, I well, oh, on the show. My official ballad was not the same. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Uh, by the way, Yunya Jung, what a gem. I mean, she, the woman could do stand-up. It was really awesome to see. <laughs> but my actual keep it is to the gigantic Scott Rudin profile that came out from the perspective of his terrified and traumatized assistants. I mean, I could go through the specifics of all the things they say, but like things like you basically shouldn't move if Scott's in the room. You basically should know you have to duck if he throws a phone. He's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right. (laughs) (laughs) When you read all of these indignities that these people have to go through for, you know, an an assistant's salary, you wonder, like, how how could this happen? How could this go on for, like, not just five years, generations? This person's, you know, a showbiz veteran. And it's just so rare that we see a bunch of experiences lined up like this where it becomes Mm -hmm. so apparent that something psychotic is going on. Mm -hmm. And... I just want to say that literally every sentence of this was horrible for me to read. Yeah. That, that people were stuck in a working environment where they just had to because, quote, unquote, that's how the business works. Yeah. My, my personal feeling is that nothing he has ever worked on was worth any of this. I, and mm-hmm. by the way, he has a legendary career. I'm sure there are people around him uh, who have worked with him who would even say, yeah, he was terrible. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he's a genius. I sort of, And my response to that is... You know how the general sentiment about going out to a restaurant is if you can't tip well, you don't have enough money to go to a restaurant. My feeling is you don't get to be a working genius if Mm -hmm. you can't treat the people around you with even a basic amount of respect. This makes me so fucking sick. My empathy for everybody involved, I, I, I hope they know they have it because I think working with someone and being stuck knowing your livelihood depends on tolerating them is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. So um, It's a uniquely, maybe it's not uniquely American. I'm American. That's why I experience it Americanly. But there's this weird notion that it takes an asshole to be successful. And mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. so many examples of that not being the case that I don't understand why we keep pushing this narrative forward or accepting abuse, particularly from men who posture masculinity a certain way. It's just boring Mm -hmm. and uninteresting aside from the fact that it's abusive it's just like the notion of the like problematic genius or the asshole who gets something done it's just so boring and cliche and tired and we have too many examples of the opposite being true for us to keep believing in this myth you know yeah definitely well and unfortunately we also just have um a bunch of culture that supports it too, you know, um, in film and television, you know, it, it sort of became, everywhere. you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I even had to check myself, um, on a screenplay I'm writing, you know, with like a character who's a boss, right. You know, the default in our brains is you can have a boss who's like a, um, Ari on Entourage, you know, mm-hmm. you can have the devil wears Prada, Meryl Street, you know, it's like that has become shorthand for a boss is an asshole, but funny. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's funny that they like yell at their assistant um, or something like that. And that is another thing that we are um, pushing forward mm-hmm. in a way, you know? And, and like, we're laughing as spectators we're not laughing from the perspective of that assistant in that moment it's not like of course we're we're sitting there and being like tee hee hee i've made it funny to me that my boss is terrible to me we're always laughing from the pers- with the vantage point of the boss being likable and so i don't you know it's not fair and it's usually people who make that comment like lewis said like oh but he was a genius it's always a spectator right mm-hmm. Or someone who's directly benefited. Yeah. Right. Speaking as someone, you know, who like has had to sit in an environment with someone who just sort of like tolerates you or is rude to you. Uh, And on the outside, people are like, but 
you know, the product is good, mm. you know? So, like, they don't really care that that person's an asshole. Um, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It uh, and it fucks up your psyche. No, when they bring up specifically in the article, too, that he is exactly like um, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. I mean, when you watch that <laughs> oh, movie, wow. you, you, you think to yourself, like, all right, this is a version of a kind of person that exists, but it's obviously hyper-theatrical hyper, yeah. and yeah. intense. And no, it's not. People really are that demanding and that unreasonable and that mm-hmm. irrational. Yeah. In addition to being violent, which J.K. Simmons also is in the movie. Yeah. So just, I, I thought that was an unbelievably harrowing read. Yeah, even past like Me Too and a lot of these reckonings, like how many of us have like people we work with, like your agent or like a lawyer or something. And it's like, you always hear the shorthand like, uh, yeah, they're crazy, but they're good at their job. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Find someone who's good it. at their job who's not crazy. Yeah. Also, last note, my favorite part of that thing that came out was that quoted in it was uh, Meg Ellison, you know, who runs Annapurna Pictures, mm-hmm. you know, about mm-hmm. like how awful Scott Rudin was. And then the report came out that she ran Annapurna just like that and was equally <laughs> awful. It was yeah. like, girl, you re- you really tried to get one over. Yeah, she tried to, <laughs> she tried to girl boss it. <laughs> I, yeah. I too was a victim. <laughs> Every time I see some version online of they hate to see a girl boss win, I laugh. It's a dumb meme, and I laugh. <laughs> Did that phrase come from the creator of Nasty Gal? I don't know. And Because I remember she had that TV show. Yeah. I think that yeah. might have been her. Who, and then there was yeah. the TV show Girl Boss, Correct. which like yeah. got canceled from Netflix. Yeah, right. <sighs> what, an, what an era. All right, Ira, what's yours? Okay, my keep it is to Elon Musk. Oh, God. Being on SNL. Did we not learn from Donald Trump hosting SNL? Did we not realize that treating foolish people mm-hmm. with a lot of money and influence and giving them sort of like a platform like this can lead to evil? First of all, you, you announce him being on the show and you've already got cast members and writers being like, what the fuck are you doing, Lord? Yeah, really strange. You know, you got like A.D. Bryant subtweeting um, in our Instagram stories by sharing Bernie Sanders interviews about, you know, the wealthiest people in America. Uh, you got like Bowen asking, what the fuck does that even mean to Elon tweeting, let's find if Saturday Night Live is really live. Like, what? Sounds like a threat, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, the amount of grace and attention that we give this, like, truly off his rocker billionaire is is wild to me. Wiley Coyote. He's awful. So, one, I feel bad for the cast and writers, except for the ones who don't care, because if they don't care, then I don't care. But (laughs) I feel bad for them, because it is is a disrespect of them and their time and their talent. Like, here's a person who has never acted. It's not even like he's a person who is in show business of some sort. Yeah. He's not an athlete. No. he's There's nothing he brings to the table. Like, there isn't... It, it just feels like such a disrespect of comedy and the art, in my opinion. I could be taking mm-hmm. myself as a comedian too seriously, but it just felt like so disrespectful of their, you know, what they what they bring to their work. And then secondly, it's like we let Zuckerberg change democracy, you know, with the way that with ads and what Facebook was doing with political campaigns. It's like I'm not about to let another technocrat who is like unregulated and like 
has this like vision for what the civilization should look like that doesn't require our input and you know putting him out front and giving him the space and opportunity to do it like this dude sends rockets into space that is mind-blowing to me and like the fact that we're just acting like he should be ushered in it's normal we shouldn't have celebrity billionaires to begin with if they aren't themselves already celebrities because it's not a good thing to be f famous for being richer than everybody else to not take into account his dangerousness given everything he'd said and did during covid and stuff about vaccines it, it, right it's just and now he's tweeting i do support vaccines yeah you're so irresponsible he's too irresponsible for us to be normalizing him and his behavior all because of a tesla and pre-apartheid south africans i'm just not I'm not comfy. Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, you, if you liked your time in South Africa before Nelson Mandela was free, I don't know if I could chill with you. You know what I mean? It's just a little stressful. <laughs> also, just isn't like the one like thing we all agree upon is that his like personality is a flop. Like who needs to be more acquainted with him on a dialogue based level? Yeah. I just don't need to see it. Right. And also, you know, I like lose all sense of morals when there is sort of like a um, hot, rich white man around um, who's sort of like evil. He's not even that. No, he's not hot <laughs> There's at nothing all. about Elon that you watching, you're like, damn, you know what? You may destroy the planet, but he kind of sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, T Peter Thiel is hotter. Oh, God. His whoa. blood drinking ass. Yeah, but he looks like he he believes in efficient ways to kill people of color. So I don't. Know well, yeah, he I, drinks blood yeah. on his little island. With I call Army him Hammer, probably. I call him the Globulin Goblin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say though, with not giving you know him you know the hype that we gave Zuckerberg to, and letting him also like destroy democracy again, mm -hmm. I did not know that. Zuckerberg and Musk were um, beefing in a years-long feud. Oh, me yes. all because one of his rockets destroyed a Facebook satellite yes. um, years ago, which got me thinking: Did we know Facebook had satellites? No, <laughs> I was so, I was like, I I had literally Googled like last week or two weeks ago. It was like Zuckerberg v Musk because Elon was making me nervous, and I go and it was like it was. I was like, there are so many things in the lead of this article that makes no sense to me that we have space rockets that had blown up Facebook satellites and like, what? We have like Lex Luthor battling Willem Dafoe or whatever his character's name is. <laughs> this is stressing the me The Green out. Goblin? I was going to say, it, it's Wiley Cody versus Marvin the Martian. They just yeah. play on different planes and they shouldn't interact. Yeah. Yeah, it's too stressful. This is actually the shit that like makes you kind of wish that there was like a Batman, you know? Yeah. Like, exactly. it's like, okay, wait, we actually do have literal supervillains yeah. just yeah. walking around, blowing up satellites, um, drinking people's blood on islands. How do <laughs> like, you have permission for a satellite? Who do you petition in space to like put <laughs> your satellite up there? This is so crazy to me. Rich people just live in a different world. They live in worlds outside of ours. It's absurd. And then get to explore them. Yeah. yeah. And we always do this because to wrap up, I will say um, on Twitter recently, the fabulous life of um, someone shared an old clip of it on VH1. 
It was of Jeffrey Epstein. Oh! <laughs> and it's like, it's doing that old VH1 thing of where, like, it's like a um, short documentary about, like, a rich person, right? Yeah, how much he spends a day. But, and it's, yeah. but it's also from that era of, like, the sound clips are, like, when they say something about, like, he owns, like, a private island that he's paid millions for. Then it has a sound clip of, like, Flavor Flav going, yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, it's that era of VH1 sound yeah. editing. But it is surreal. Uh, it was tweeted out by the user Owen Higgins. But it is an old clip of it where it's just talking about, like, his heated sidewalk so, like, he doesn't have snow. It talks about, like, the jet trips he's taken with Bill Clinton and Chris Tucker. (laughs) And it's, like, insane um, to watch this now and be like, we really love, like, hyping up billionaires and being like, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that era is. We have a lot to reckon for. I've said that before. I mean, the the yeah. the mental illness exploiting of so many people for various shows yeah. on VH1 alone. Let alone that. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. So it's not cool, and you are not being cool, Lauren Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be all uncool. <laughs> Uh, all right, that's our show. Thank you to Ed Helms for joining us, and thank you to Ray Sani for oh, coming thank back you for having and me. having fun with us. Ray Sani, you are a killer. I love having you here. You are oh, fabulous. thank you yeah. so much. That makes me feel good. You know, I love I love doing it with y'all, and I hope Aida feels better soon. Yes, and also we told y'all when you guessed it on with um, Jaquise, uh everyone go listen to Ray's oh, yeah. new podcast, The Cast. Uh, it is so fucking funny, and the deep dives into random uh, reality show moments, um, it's, it's beautiful. So oh, yeah. really great podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Our episode just came out, so go check it out. Uh, I don't remember who we talked about this week, but it's fun, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 